0: This morning, we're about one-third of the way through our 21 days of prayer. Our theme verse for this series is found in the Apostle Paul's letter, first letter, to the church at Thessalonica. In the Bible, it's called 1 Thessalonians. So let's read it. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18, it says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If you ever want to know what God's will for your life is, here it is pray continually, or the way that we have rephrased it for the sake of our series is pray first. In every situation that you face each day, we're encouraging you to simply pray first, as in when you get up first thing in the morning before you do anything else, you're going to, say it with me, pray first. When the kids are heading out the door to get on the bus or get out of the car to walk up to the school, you're going to pray Pray first, Say, God just help them, help them be leaders, not followers today, help them impact your kingdom in some way. Before you get that credit card to go out and pay for that sale item, you're going to, it's only two words, even. you're going to pray first, and all the guys said amen. Before you go buy that new bass boat or set of golf clubs, you're going to pray first. And all the ladies said, amen. When you're on that on-ramp to I-35, heading up to work, and you see the car in in that one lane, and he's not moving over, and you know he sees you, but he won't move over. Instead of giving him half the peace sign, you're going to Pray. pray first. In other words, what would your life look like? Some of you just got that. What would your life, what would your life look like if you would just begin inviting Jesus into your daily life, routine, and decisions. One of the greatest quotes that I've ever heard regarding this idea was by a great man of God by the name of Smith Wigglesworth. Now, he was a British pastor, evangelist, and author. One of his books, titled Ever-Increasing Faith, and I I challenge you to read that book. I mean, it'll really radically change your faith. It really will. But in this book, Ever-Increasing Faith, he kind of talks about things, stories that really kind of challenge it. But here's something that, that he said in that book. He said, I never pray more than 20 minutes, but I never go more than 20 minutes without praying. It's like, you know, you read things like that, and it's like, oh, come on, man. You just feel kind of like a heel at that point, because it's like, seriously? So that's the challenge. How do we get there? How do we come to the place where we never go more than 20 minutes without prayer? Is it even possible to get there? Well, I don't think the Apostle Paul nor Jesus would have instructed us to do so if it weren't. So this morning, I want us to look at four principles that I think will help us not just pray first, but in the words of Paul and Jesus, always pray. Luke 18, verse 1, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. And the story he told was the parable about the persistent widow who kept, who kept pounding on the door. The, the, this statement by Jesus and the one by Paul in 1 Thessalonians simply underscores this great idea that prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. And honestly, come on, honestly, most of us operate exactly opposite of that, don't we? Most of us act first, and then we call out to God to bail us out. Most of us, because we don't, because we don't what? Pray first, well, we end up dialing 911 on the the prayer hotline. God, come bail me out. Come help me here, right? One of the keys to understanding how we can pray always and pray first is found in a statement that Jesus made once in John chapter 15. I want us to read it together. In John 15, verse 4, he says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me now I want to drill down a little bit on that word remain because when you live as close to the bible belt as we do here in the midwest I think there's this tendency to kind of compartmentalize Christianity in other words what you do on Sunday morning by coming to church is kind of separate from what you do throughout the rest of the week it's like you know Sunday's the church thing and then you do your own thing for the rest of the week I mean you know, you might ramp it up a little bit at Christmas and Easter but other than that Church and spiritual life is pretty much relegated to Sunday mornings. But authentic Christianity stays with you Monday through Saturday as well. In fact, the way that God designed it to work is you come to church on Sunday, but you are the church the rest of the week, right? See, God wants to be your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday God, as well as your Sunday God. The end game being, now watch this, the result of our remaining in him and him in us is that we might bear fruit. But you say you knew that, didn't you? I mean, that's botany 101. You cut a branch off, is that branch going to live? Not for very long anyway, right? Then speaking metaphorically, Jesus continues, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what's the fruit? What's the reward for remaining in him and him in us? your life's going to be so much more productive your job's going to be more fulfilling your parenting will go better your marriage will be healthier and stronger as well just everything that you do will take on a new dimension when you become a remaining christian a branch that stays connected to the vine who is the lord jesus when we begin to live our lives with the understanding and with this understanding and embrace this metaphor that jesus of jesus being the vine and us being the branches it is going to be so much easier to not just pray first, but to pray always. So real quick, I want us to look at four principles that will help us remain in Him and Him in us. Principle number one, priority of prayer. Priority of prayer. A priority, what is a priority? A priority is simply what we put first in our lives. And and as, as Kyle alluded to earlier in the host segment, the principle of first is a consistent theme throughout the entire Bible. This idea of first communicated two things first it communicates priority to that thing or that person to whom you did that first thing to or for you know but more importantly it kind of gets their attention but second it sets a precedent for what you do after that another way to put it would be to say what you do first has the power to bless the rest that's tweetable if you want to tweet that out there and even though listen even though prayer works whenever we pray i believe that there truly is something special when we make it a priority When the first words out of your mouth each morning are, Lord, I thank you for the good night's rest. I confess my total dependence on you today. See, I believe there's there's something special when the first thing that you read at the beginning of each day is God's word, not Facebook, not Twitter, not the KC Star sports section. Putting God first not only gets his attention, it actually sets the tone for the rest of the day in a way that will be a blessing, not just to you, but to those that you come into contact with. What you do first has the power to bless the rest. In fact, and, and a lot of preachers would disagree, would never say this from the pulpit, and they would disagree with me on this, but that's okay. They can have their opinion, and God and I will have ours. Because the Bible does state specifically that that the tithe is 10%. I understand that. I do get that. But in talking with people who struggle in this spiritual discipline, this area of giving, because let's be honest, that, that's the big hurdle for most of us, isn't it? It's that ten. I can I can do the prayer. I can, but man, I know that tithing thing. I just don't know about that. So this is what I tell them. I say, look, just just start somewhere. If you can't do ten percent, that's fine. I mean, the goal is to get you to ten percent. But to me, just as important as the mount is 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 putting them first, the priority. Just begin giving something. You know, get that priority. See, either way, you know, if, if you're having a hard time learning that discipline, you need to invite God into that conversation. That's all I'm saying, okay? Now, as far as how this would translate over to your daily life, it could be as simple as, say, you have a headache or or some other physical infirmity. Before you go to the medicine cabinet or before you call the doctor's office, you would, what are you going to do? You're going to Pray. pray first. Look, I'm not saying don't take the medicine. I'm not saying don't call the doctor's office. You can still do that. Go ahead and call Dr. Kavan, call Jackie. I mean, I'm sure they'll be able to help you, right? But think about this. What if you prayed and God healed you? How cool would that be? Not only would you be healed, you'd have a testimony that that you could share with others, right? It'd be an encouragement to you, it'd be an encouragement to others. See, it just goes back to that mindset of inviting God into that conversation or into that equation as you navigate the choices and decisions that you make each day. Before considering all your resources and options, what are you going to do? You're going to pray first. Many of you are familiar with the story of Daniel in the Bible, how he was in exile in Babylon, and a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar issued this decree that the only person that people could worship was the king, him. right? And and look at what Daniel's response to that decree was. Daniel 6, verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day. He got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God. Now watch this next statement, just as he had done before. In other words, Daniel, do you see this? Daniel had developed a habit of looking to God periodically throughout the day. That's all we're asking you to do. That's what we're trying to accomplish in this 21 days of prayer and then even beyond. Daniel scheduled God into his daily life and when you schedule to meet with him and make prayer a priority, you'll be amazed at how much different that life's going to start looking for you. You'll you'll start seeing meaning and purpose and you'll start seeing the hand of God at work in and through you in a way that you never have before. See, this works. I'm going to tell you why this works. This works because God shows favor on those who learn to put him first and make prayer a priority. He loves all of us. He loves everyone, but he shows favor towards those who make him a priority. So make prayer a priority. Second, place of prayer. Those of you who grew up in the church probably heard this phrase, prayer closet. Anyone ever heard that phrase, That the prayer closet? They're just talking about, that. that's where someone would go to kind of get alone and spend time with God, reading their Bible and praying. And for some, it might actually be a closet, but the idea is more just kind of getting alone with God. For the past couple of years, my prayer closet, <laughs> this is going to sound weird to you, but my prayer closet has been the cemetery. And yeah, I know I'm kind of weird like that. No, seriously, what I do is I, I walk up to the because c- we just kind of live down the road from the cemetery. I walk up to the cemetery, and I make a couple of laps around the cemetery, and then I go back home. But during that time, and see, I've done that for a long time, but it wasn't always my prayer closet because I take my AirPods and listen to, you know, useless stuff, right? But I wanted to convert that, and I, God convicted me about it, so I started doing that. And see, your prayer closet, number one, it's going to be different, and number two, it can change throughout the seasons of life. When I was going to Bible school, that at Christ for the Nations, I, the dorm that I lived in, it was an old hotel. The school had bought this hotel, converted it into a dorm. So it was an old Holiday Inn, three of us, three guys in a Holiday Inn room. So my prayer closet was this four-by-five-foot little cubbyhole where I hung up a towel and then I went back in there, and, and that was my prayer closet during that time. The point being, just find a place where you can get alone with the Father. You know, some of you might need to do some rearranging in your closet to make it a prayer closet. For example, Sarah Clam, Doug Clam would have to go hire a backhoe operator to come in and move all her shoes around so that he, and you can tell her I said that because I give her a hard time about, it. She, she's a shoe person, right? right? The point being, find some place to get alone with God. And this is going to look different for everyone. Some people like to pace or walk when they pray. Some like to just get a cup of coffee or tea, go sit in the recliner, go get a blanket, just kind of cuddle up and just get alone with God, right? Jesus actually modeled this for us in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Look at this. Very early in the morning, there's the priority. You see that? There's the priority, right? the principle of the first, right? First part of the day. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary, what? Place where he prayed. If Jesus thought this was important, then we should too. Pick a time and find a place. Now, the challenge today, especially with this generation, is we've actually created another place to compete with our place with the Lord. See, for the longest time, our lives basically consisted of two places. You've got your home, and then you've got your, you know, when you're not at home, your home life, and then your away-from-home life, which would be, you know, work, school, activities. But today, today, because of social media, we've actually created a third place, and it's called our virtual place. And this place is made up of Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, the Internet, places where we're living, but not really. That's why it's called a virtual place. And this third place has engulfed us to the point where, for some, it's kind of become all-consuming. Don't shout me down. All right? Look, I'm not telling you to close out all your social media accounts. I'm just challenging you to go to your place of prayer before going to any other place. Too many of us are living in that place way too much. And I say us because I am just as guilty of this as you can be. I know. For me, all right? For me, and I think this is probably true for many of you, if I start checking Twitter or check my emails or open up the ESPN app to see, you know, scores, right, or found, find out why a week ago when the Bengals had it third and 27 and the Chiefs blitzed, I, I want to know why, right? Or, or, or yesterday, how the Chiefs' defense could make a bottom feeder quarterback look like a first ballot Hall of Famer. See? But then you start, you start reading that stuff, and then before you know it, it's 1030. It's like, whoa, you know? And just think of all the time that's, that's wasted, right? So find a place. I want to challenge you to find your place of prayer. For some, it might be a closet. For some, it just might be a recliner. Whatever you, whatever you want to do, find a place. You, some of you might want to walk around town. However you do it, just make sure you find a place. So priority of prayer, place of prayer. The third one is plan of prayer. See, anytime you enter into any kind of relationship, or at least meaningful relationship, you should have a plan. You should have a plan. doesn't mean you'll always do the plan, but you should at least have some idea of what you're wanting to gain or invest in the relationship. You should approach your scheduled time with the Lord the same way that you would a date with your spouse or your significant other. See, you don't pull out of the driveway and say, okay, honey, where do you want to go? Or do you? (laughs) Right? No, you're going to get more out of that date if you have a plan, right? And and I guarantee you the evening and the time together is going to be so much more better and rewarding, more meaningful if you have a plan. This holds true with prayer as well. That's why we've hooked you up with some different prayer and devotional resources on our website, familychurch.xyz. Scroll down to 21 Days of Prayer and you'll find some valuable tools to help you put a plan together. Now, as far as how this looks for me, look, I, I, time doesn't allow me to go into all you know, complete detail, but just part of my plan is, is it includes praying for my family. I make sure every day I pray for our children and their spouses and all of our grandchildren, all 12 of them, all nine granddaughters and three grandsons. But I got good news. The prayers are working because in March we're going to have grandson number four. And this summer, we're going to have grandson number five. Hallelujah! So prayer works. That's what I'm saying, right? The point being, as we're learning how to pray, I want to encourage you to begin using resources. Have a plan. Have a plan. When you approach, listen, when you approach and engage in prayer with this much thought and consideration, what used to be, oh gosh, how much more time do I have? Okay, finally done. Got that checked up. What used to be that's going to be Whoa, man, I need 15 more minutes. I mean, I'm kind of exaggerating, but kind of not. Seriously, if you have a plan put together, it's going to enhance your prayer time, and it's not going to seem like a duty. It's not going to seem so, you know, I can't believe I have to do this, right? So, besides, if Jesus saw fit to have a plan as the Son of God, I'm thinking it might be good for us to have a plan as well. Luke 11, verse 1. Once Jesus was in a a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So obviously, and this is kind of creepy to me if you think about it, the disciples were spying on Jesus while he's praying. I don't know about you, but if I'm praying and I knew people were watching me, I'd be kind of like, but you know, Jesus, son of God, you know, he was able to deal with that. But think about this, he must have been praying out loud. Because that evoked the comment, hey, would you? It wasn't his body language that caused the disciples to say, hey, teach us to pray. No, no. He had to have been praying out loud. They heard something, right? And Jesus' response was, in verse 2, Jesus said, this is how you should pray. And then he proceeded to give them those those seven points, those seven bullet points that he covered, those different areas. And that's what we talked about last week. And those, by the way, are on the website as well. When it comes to prayer, we should make it a priority. When it comes to prayer, we should find a place. When it comes to prayer, we should have a plan. And then I save the best for last, the persons of prayer. And notice that's capital P. In other words, I'm talking about the Trinity, the threefold nature of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. As important as making prayer a priority and finding a place and having a plan are, as important as those are, if you never, listen, if you never connect on a personal level, You'll never come to that place where you can pray always. And here's what you need to know. You relate to each of those different persons or personalities in a different way. You really do. And and this is is huge. This is huge because your view of God determines how you relate to him. And I'm preaching about 93% better than most of you are responding. I'm just throwing that out there. Your view of God determines how you relate to him. In his final comments to the Corinthian church, a church that he started, by the way, but in his final comments, his benediction, the Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The amazing grace of the master Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, he's talking about the Father, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit, be with you all now look close at that verse and you're going to see that paul actually introduces us to the trinity in this single verse in order that's right i said in order pastor what do you mean in order i always thought it was father son holy spirit that's right but if we never come to understand who jesus is it really doesn't matter how well we know the father or the spirit it really does so we we need to first connect with the amazing grace of jesus christ this is who we need to be introduced to first. And remember, Jesus is the one who's carrying your prayers to God the Father. That's why we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. Look, this, this, honestly, this is really for another sermon or actually another sermon series that maybe we'll do sometime. But the Bible tells us that Jesus is the mediator between us and, and Father God. In fact, the book of Hebrews tells us that right now while I'm up here preaching and you're out there hopefully listening. Okay while you're out there hopefully listening, right, that Jesus is sitting right next to Father God, and are you ready for this? He's interceding. He's praying for you. In other words, Jesus is talking to God the Father about you. Now, look, we, we don't know exactly what this looks like in our daily lives, but, but there, this is kind of how I envision it happening, okay? Say, Jesus is talking to the Father God about me, and he says, says Father, I just want you to know that, man, your son Curtis... He's really going through a hard time right now. He's struggling. He could really use some help and encouragement, some healing, some guidance, because he's really hurting. And Dad, Dad, I know because I've been there. I, I understand what he's going through. I was there once. And while Jesus is having that conversation with the Father, I'm down there in the cemetery making, doing my prayer walk, making a couple laps around there, crying out to God. God, help me. I need healing. I need guidance. I need encouragement. Jesus takes our prayer before the Father. So I say, say, Jesus, Jesus, I'm really struggling and hurting right now in Jesus' name. Jesus says, okay, thank you. He picks those up, and he takes those to the Father. And he says, Father, I got a project for you here. I got a project for you here. Your son's hurting, and I know, I know. He's been betrayed. He's been backstabbed. He's been hurt, and I know because I've been there as well. I also felt that rejection. See, just understanding that changes everything in my relationship with Jesus. It really does. He wanted, think about this. He was so desperate for you. Jesus was so desperate for you, for me, to get to know Father God, that he was willing to pay for every sin you have or will commit for the rest of your life. For the rest of your life. Here's how the Bible tries to explain this amazing truth. In Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. I like that phrase, who is unable to sympathize with us. In other words, God. when we pray, God's not like, well, 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 look what the cat drug in. I knew you'd be back. I knew you'd, what? You mean you did that again, that same thing? You came here last week? This is the fourth time? When are you going to straighten your act up? All right? No. No. No, he fully understands where we're coming from, and he sympathizes with us. See, you think about this. That's why he lived over 30 years on this planet. You ever thought about that? See, if it was just about getting us to heaven, you know, Jesus could have been born, sacrificed, been resurrected, and called it good. But listen, it wasn't just about the sacrifice. It was about being able to connect with us at a broken and frail level. That's why he lived those 30 years, people. So he could sympathize with us. Basically, he had to go through the same disappointments, the same hurts, the same betrayals that we do to sympathize and understand when we go through it and need help. The difference is, and it's a huge difference, the difference is he went through those without sinning. So not only does he know, not only does he care, since he knows and since he cares, here's what we should do in Hebrews 4:16. Let us then approach God's throne of what? grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find here's our word again grace to help us in our time of need and if you're still skeptical let me direct you to these words from the apostle paul in second corinthians 12 9 but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness it's like when we blow it again and i come to jesus man jesus and, and we cringe at doing this because we know, I And mean, it's like, you know, the 14th time. I know I've asked forgiveness for this, but, but Jesus, I did it again. I did it again. And Jesus is like, you know, son, I know, I know. I, I'm, I'm just glad that you owned up to it and came to me. That's all I want. I just want you to bring it to me so I can take it to the Father. That's the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. Then we have the extravagant love of the Father. You know, one of the real tragedies of trying to navigate on this broken, messed up planet is that for many of you, your relationship with your Heavenly Father has kind of warped and distorted your view of the Heavenly Father so that many of you, when you think of Father, you, you, you default to the idea of pain, rejection, anger, and hurt. Now, if that's you, and I want to be sensitive here because I want to say this as lovingly, But as forcefully as I can, because at some point, hopefully soon, you're going to have to be healed of that. You're going to have to be healed of that, because even though he is king, even though he is a master, even though he's our savior, listen, his favorite name to be called is Father. Is Father. Ephesians chapter 3 records one of Paul's prayers for us. I want us to read the opening line of this prayer. In Ephesians 3 verse 14, it says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Now, the people that that read that, okay, the the, the people in the church, the, the Jesus followers there, that would have had so much meaning to them because in Jewish culture, when a child would walk into the room where their father was, they would immediately go and kneel down before them and then their father would wrap them in their arms, pick them up, and bless them. So if the relationship you had with your father wasn't very good or even if it was just downright horrific, Still, you need to be healed of that in Jesus' name. You need to be healed of that in Jesus' name. Because God, who invites you to call him Heavenly Father, not only wants to welcome you, he wants to wrap his arms around you and hug you and comfort you and bless you because this Father, your Heavenly Father, is, and I'm going to go through this litany of Things about Father God in Psalm 103. You can read these on your own sometime. Psalm 103, verse 8. Your father is He's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Verse 9. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. Verse 10. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our ne-. See that? He doesn't even give us what we deserve. Verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him? Again, like Kyle said, this isn't a this isn't a fear of oh I hope he doesn't hurt me hit me no no this is this is like a child would walk in and kneel before their father as a, as a sign of honor and respect. In fact, the word fear here is actually a word one of the asp- that describes an aspect of worship. Verse twelve: As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Verse thirteen: As a father has compassion on his children. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Little translation, you don't have to beg, you don't have to grovel or bargain with God. Just come humbly before him in honor and love and let him pick you up, wrap his arms around you and love on you. Your view of God determines how you relate to him. Come to know him afresh as your heavenly father and see how that can radically change your prayer life. So we come to know the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. We come to know the extravagant love of the Father. And then we come to know the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. Now, the problem with understanding a relationship with this part of God's nature is we actually know less about this part of Him than the other two. I mean, we have movies like The Ten Commandments and docu-series like The, the Chosen that, that kind of show us what the Father and Jesus are like. But we don't have a whole lot to kind of show us what, yeah, what is this ghost, the Holy Ghost? I don't know. Can I just have the first two? I'll just take two of them. Can I just have father and son? I can do without the ghost. No, no, you can't. Here's why. The Holy Spirit is what helps us live out God's plan and purpose on this planet. See, the Holy Spirit is what helps us. uh, uh, Look, you're going to be, I'm going to be done preaching here in just a couple minutes and you're going to leave here and you're going to do whatever you're going to do, but you need to know this. The Holy Spirit's going to go with you. He's going to go with you. In fact, the word used for Holy Spirit is a single Greek word. It's The the English transliteration is paraclete, which means comforter, helper, or advocate. One definition was to come alongside, to, to walk with you, counsel you, give you wisdom and guidance, check you when you shouldn't do something, prompt you when you should do something. In other words, the Holy Spirit is how God the Father and God the Son live in and through us. We need to understand The amazing grace of Jesus. Our relationship begins at the cross. We need to understand the extravagant love of the Father. And finally, we need to understand the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit, the one who wants to leave here with us in a couple of minutes and walk alongside us. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Father, as we move into a season of getting closer to you through this 21 days of prayer, I do pray that you would take us to a new dimension. Take Family Church to a new dimension. Help us as we make you a priority each day. Help us find a place. Guide us as we put together a plan and focus on the amazing grace of Jesus, the extravagant love of the Father, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. And while you're still bowed before the Lord, I want to ask if there's anyone here or any... Look, you've, you've heard the message on prayer. Maybe you've even prayed before. But you'd say, you know, Pastor, I'm, I'm not close to God. I'm not close to God. Yeah, I've prayed before, but I don't really have a personal relationship with Him. And you're still carrying the guilt and shame of things that you've done, maybe still even doing right now. Listen, you can leave here this morning set free from that guilt and shame with a brand new life. Jesus called it abundant life. Life to the fullest. If that's you, then you're a candidate for that amazing grace of jesus and you can receive that grace with just with just a single heartfelt prayer where you invite him to be lord of your life now for some of you it might be your first time praying a prayer like that for others you might be coming back to jesus either way listen either way grace is needed and guess what either way grace is available that's what makes it so amazing that's what makes it so amazing if that's you, would you just pray the simple prayer to say, Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for me. Thank you for paying for my sins, sins that I, I should have paid for. But right now, I receive what you did for me and I make you Lord of my life. And today, I'm choosing to surrender my heart, my life to you, Jesus. And I invite the Holy Spirit to come live inside of me, to be my advocate and to walk alongside of me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for changing me. Thank you for helping me begin living my life for you. In Jesus' name, amen.